Well, let's go ahead and get started. This is week two of the Beyond Limits class. This is a scriptural journey into embracing supernatural possibility. We want to be as open as we possibly can to what is possible uh, with God. And scripture tells us that with God, all things are possible and all things are possible for him who believes. And so we want to expand our belief, expand our faith, and allow the Lord to use uh, the entire narrative of scripture uh, to show us uh, who he is and what he does. And uh, we get to be invited into relationship with Yahweh. And not only that, uh, but he invites us into his will as well. And so that's that's wonderful. Um, so week two, we're calling this Supernatural Experience and Destiny. And so uh, basically talking about uh, the Lord interacting with people in a supernatural way. He's, he's spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And uh, he has chosen to reveal himself to mankind and to invite us into his plans. And so uh, week one, if you haven't listened to that or watched that, I think many of you have, but if you haven't, uh, definitely go back and catch up. And you could do that at our website, thesourcewichita.com, and click the Beyond Limits link. So this week, I want to start off by talking about uh, destiny. And so as we talk about destiny, we'll look at some of the experiences that uh, the individuals in the scriptures had with uh, the supernatural, with, with the Lord revealing himself. But then not only that, inviting them into his will into his will, and then giving them purpose and giving them mandates. So last week we talked about the Lord taking the empty places and he fills it with the spirit and with his presence and he gives it purpose. Um, he brings it to life. He, he brings forth light in that. Um, illuminates our lives, illuminates our path. And so destiny, I'm just giving it a, a simple definition here. This is kind of uh, my definition in the way that I'm going to be speaking about it tonight. So uh, destiny in the sense that this is his call to you into relationship with him and into partnership and in bringing about his will. And so a lot of times when people talk about will and when they talk about uh, destiny, you know, there are all these questions about, you know, what is the Lord's will for my life? What's his will? What's his will? And there's in the theological world, there's like permissive will and, and all these different phrases. But I, I want to talk about it from a, maybe a simpler perspective. So basically one, God has destiny. That's going to be a work that happens inside of you. Um, when I moved to Wichita in 2010, I moved here to be a church planter. And I remember being so excited. I didn't know what that was going to bring. I really didn't even know what that entailed. And so I kind of got thrown into this world and I was learning and growing. And I moved here to be a church planter slash campus, campus pastor, and I was so excited about what God was going to do, what God was going to do, what God was going to do, right? And so I'd always say, I'm so excited about what God's going to do through me. And I was only looking at the relationship with the Lord as Him wanting to use me and, and put me to work and have me accomplish these tasks. And where that's that's good and that is valid in our relationship with Him, it's not the only thing. Part of our destiny is that he works in us. And I remember talking to another pastor and he said, you know, Jason, you talk so much about being excited about what the Lord is going to do through you, but I believe that he wants to do something great in you. And uh, I think it took me a long time to actually kind of receive that concept and allow that to take root so that I would begin to focus on the work that he was doing in me rather than what he was doing through me. So Romans 8, 29 uh, through 30 
Many of you know Romans 8, 28, right? He causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And even in that scripture, those who love him, relationship, and called according to his purpose, his his will, right? So destiny, relationship, and and purpose. Uh, So then, yeah, after that, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So there's that word. And we know that there are some theologies and doctrines that we love to get hung up on predestination. You know, where do you stand? Like, you know, do you think this? Do you think that? What do you think about predestination? Uh, that's that's not the route that I'm going to take. Um, and he actually kind of, uh, Paul will define what that that destiny is right after that. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those he call, whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. So the beautiful thing about this is that the Lord has destiny to do a work in you. And that work is to be conformed to the image of his son. And so our purpose one of our purposes, one of God's plans for our life, his will for us, is that we're conformed to the image of his son. And so he is going to replace all of our non-kingdom thinking and non-kingdom living and non-kingdom understanding or unchristlike thinking, unchristlike existence, unchristlike acts and unchristlike heart. And all of these things, our mind is going to transform our mind, it's going to transform our heart. He's going to bring us into a place to where we exist in such a way that Christ existed. And that was in relationship with with God, the Father, at all times, no matter what. And then always seeking the Father in relationship so that he could do what he saw the Father doing. And we'll, we'll see that scripture here in just a moment. So I always say that God wants to do something in you and he wants to do something through you. So the work in us, our destiny is that we're conformed into the image of the likeness of Christ and that is going to be something that's going to happen for the entirety of our lives. It's a journey. It's a process. You plant a seed in the ground, and it takes watering and soil and sunlight and endures the seasons, and it grows, and then it bears fruit over time. And so we know that this is a process, and it will take our entire life for us to continue in that work that the Lord is doing in us. But no matter what happens around us, no matter our circumstance, no matter our geographical location, no matter the relationships around us, like we are always on the path predestined to be conformed into the image of the likeness of Christ, right? So a lot of people want to get hung up on place and time and thing and all that stuff and all that has its place. But sometimes we forget that there's a work to be done in us um, first. So doing a work in us, and he does that by his spirit in us, we know that, and then doing a work through us, which is also by his spirit. And next week we'll be talking about uh, heavenly resources, and I believe that the primary resource or tool or thing that the Lord does supernaturally in our lives, it fills us with the Holy Spirit and then empowers us to be transformed into his likeness and then also to do his will. So it all ties together. Um, the work through us. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, 
It is not based on deeds so that no one may boast. And so, you know, we talk about being in relationship with the Lord and then doing things for him. And it's not doing his will and living out that purpose that brings us salvation. We know that it's his grace and his mercy and his love for us. And he invites us into that relationship. And that's a gift. And that's by grace um, based on who he is and his love for us. But then verse 10 goes on to say, for we are his workmanship. Um, some translations say we are his masterpiece. We are this beautiful creation that the Lord has put together. But he created us in Messiah Yeshua or created us in Christ Jesus for, why did he create us? For good deeds, which God prepared beforehand, or one may also say, which we were predestined to do which God prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. And so if we look at these two scriptures back to back, we have in one instance, we're made to be conformed into the image of Christ, and we are made to walk in these good deeds, which he prepared beforehand in Christ Jesus. So as we enter into Christ and live and move and breathe and have our being in him, we then begin to walk as Christ walked, which is fulfilling the purposes of God and bringing the kingdom from heaven to earth as we move forth throughout this world. And so predestined for relationship and predestined for works. And so as we are being conformed into the image of the likeness of the Son, we're becoming mature sons of God, and we become obedient sons of God as Christ was perfectly obedient to the Father. So as he does that work in us, he begins to do the things through us. And I think a lot of times we like to get the cart before the horse. And I may have mentioned this before, but in the scriptures, it says that Jesus called his disciples to be with him and then that they would preach and then they would cast out demons. And so when I look at the order of that, I see relationship to be with him. I see preaching, which is the ministry, bringing the kingdom, preaching the gospel, doing those things. And then there's the casting out of demons. So he says relationship, ministry, supernatural occurrences, right? Holy Spirit power moving through the earth like it did with Christ. And I think a lot of times we get the cart before the horse and we say, God, use me. God, use me. I want to have successful ministry. I want to perform miracles. I want to see blind eyes open and ears open. And I want to see dead people come to life. And I, I want to heal the lame and heal the sick and do all these things. And we sometimes miss the order of that, that it's being with the Lord Jesus and then we would see the ministry happen, and then we would see the power of God move. And so the primary thing is relationship with him. And as we exist in that, he then moves us into that place of doing the works that he prepared beforehand. And I believe it's in that relationship, in the communication, the spirit moving and breathing and, and speaking to us, our relationship with the Lord, we begin to learn and understand the voice of the spirit. And then we begin to move and breathe and act as though um, he's making his appeal through us, right? Is what Corinthians says, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And so I love this, working in us, working through us. And so if we look at the life of Christ, we're going to be conformed to his image. We look at his works on the earth and the things that he did for, um, you know, by being who he is, his heart for the world, his heart for the lost, his desire to bring kingdom to earth and do these things. That's an in interesting thing in, that we see in the, um, the Lord's Prayer. 
And so we're going to look at Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And the disciples, you know, they looked to Christ. They were, he was their rabbi, their, their teacher. And they were really good about asking questions. And, and Jesus was really good about giving answers. Um, maybe not always what they wanted to hear, but or maybe not always something they even understood. And there were a lot of things that he spoke to them that they later understood, but didn't understand then. But nonetheless, he was still teaching them kingdom principles. And so I think we learn a very important kingdom principle, many kingdom principles in the Lord's Prayer, but one specifically that I want to point out. So Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says, Therefore, pray in this way, our Father in heaven. So let me just stop. <laughs> I love doing this. Don't you, do you like or dislike when preachers do that? They're like, let's read the scripture. And they're like, okay, stop. Let's, let's just look at this first word. And then they spend 20 minutes on it. So I'm doing that. Uh, therefore, pray in this way, our Father in heaven. And so number one, Jesus in that prayer, right out of the gate, he says, it's about relationship. It's about putting your eyes, your focus, your heart on God, right? Our Father relationship. Like, remember that relationship. Remember who Yahweh is to us. He's Father. He loves us. He desires to know us deeply and intimately, right? A, a good Father. Um, and then he says, our Father in heaven. So he immediately says, look, we're going to focus on relationship, and we're going to understand that this is a situation where we are communicating and existing in a relationship with a father who is not of this world. If anything, he's out of this world, right? Our father who art in heaven. And so there's this spiritual to physical aspect, right? He's likening him to a father, which is something that we can grasp physically. But then he says our father in heaven, which is this spiritual situation, right? So our father in heaven, sanctified or hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So again, Jesus is saying, our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then obviously for thine is the kingdom <laughs> for yours is the kingdom of power and glory forever and ever. Amen. I know it. So, um, but here's the interesting thing that I see here as Jesus is praying. He's saying, your will on earth. He's praying. He's having a conversation with the Lord. He's saying, look, I want what you want. You're in heaven. You are, you are on the throne. You're ruling and you're reigning. You are the king of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus begins to preach the, the gospel of the kingdom saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand or the kingdom is among us. The kingdom is with us. And he's saying, look, the kingdom of heaven has, has now come as Christ has come as fully the father, right? Um, if you've seen the father, you've seen, or if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He comes and he begins to show what it's going to look like for the kingdom of heaven. God's will from heaven to be made manifest on earth. And so we see supernatural occurrences. We see, um, again, 
people being called out of the grave and then blind eyes being opened and ears and issues of blood and all sorts of things, sins forgiven, the, the poor and the, and the marginalized and the oppressed, setting the captives free, healing the broken, being near to the brokenhearted, doing all these things, kingdom coming, kingdom coming. Um, and Jesus is walking in that and he teaches us to pray that. He says, look, pray this way, pray for the will of God to be made manifest on earth as it is in heaven to come to earth. So taking a reality of what is in heaven, so maybe you've not heard this concept before, but Jesus is saying, as it is in heaven, not as it was or will be, but as it is, that the Lord our God, our Father in heaven, has a plan and he has a purpose, and he has a heart's desire, as we saw when he spoke to Abraham in the wilderness. He said, that my heart's desire for you is. And then he partnered in relationship. And as Abraham walked in that relationship, that God's will from heaven then became manifest on earth as he lived his life in that relationship with God. And so this is the same concept that Jesus is talking about. And um, Jesus left his ministry to us when he was here. He was bringing kingdom everywhere he went, loving people, healing, doing all these things, preaching the gospel, teaching people about the Father, forgiving sins, correcting religious uh, law-based mentalities, the, correcting the death mentality, coming that we might have life and have it abundantly and doing all of these things. And so then after he's, uh, he lives, he's crucified, he's buried, he's resurrected. And then just before he ascends, um, he gives a mandate. Um, and we know that part of that mandate is going to the world to make disciples of all nations. And that really means to teach people this new kingdom way, let people be learners of the kingdom. And then he said, I'm going to send the spirit and wait for the spirit to come. And so he said, uh, as you do these things, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And I will empower you to do that. Uh, you'll receive power to be my witness. And you'll, you'll go to you know preach the gospel in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So Jesus passed on the expansion of the kingdom of God coming from heaven into earth. And he put that in us that we would continue that, right? Good works that we should walk in them, right? As we're in Christ Jesus, good works that he prepared before the foundations of the earth. And so he's given that ministry to us. And so part of what we do as believers is we press in for the heart and the desire of God and he reveals his will to us and then by his spirit in us and by that partnership and that agreement and that obedience that happens as we mature along, we begin to see that ministry of Christ continue. Um, again, that scripture where it says, as though God is making his appeal through us. And so if we look in Romans, it talks about living, uh, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then we'll be able to test and know what the perfect and pleasing will of God is. So a little more scripture talking about discerning the will of the Lord as we're in relationship with him. Again, going back to Jesus saying, pray this way, your will on earth as it is in heaven. And so part of what we do is we tap into the heart and the mind of God. Scripture says that for we have the mind of Christ. Who can know the thoughts of God? Only the Spirit of God, and we have the mind of Christ. 
so we can in- exist in such a way that we are tapping into and pressing into the heart of God and saying, God, what do you want? What is your will? What are your desires? And so that's why Jesus then says, if you ask anything in my name and according to the will of God, then it will be done for you. And so um, we'll take a look at a couple of different scriptures that kind of prove or support this theory or this idea of things existing in heaven and then being made manifest on earth. So as it is in heaven, and then the Lord communicating that to people, and then it actually becoming a physical kind of existence on the planet. Um, So real quick, Hebrews 8, 5 through 6 tells us, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. So Hebrews is going and talking about the high priest and what they did every single year, um, going into the Holy of Holies and interceding on our behalf and then finding forgiveness for uh, the sins of Jerusalem for that year, all the Israelites as commanded by the Lord. And so they would do that, their priestly duty. And we know that Jesus then becomes our high priest interceding day and night by the throne to the Father on our behalf. We'll talk more about that in week four. But he, uh, the writer of Hebrews is telling us, look, those high priests, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. So there was something, a copy, a shadow, right? So there's this thing that exists in heaven, and then it was made manifest on earth, and it was a copy and a shadow. And so it says, this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So what happened on the mountain? Moses was in that relationship with the Lord where he was talking to him on the mountain, right? He wanted to see him, but the Lord passed by and said, I'll show you my goodness. Um, But this is that exchange that's happening. Moses is having conversation with the Lord and the Lord is revealing to Moses on the mountain physical human being, spiritual, invisible being communicating so that God's heart and will and desire is then made known to Moses. And then he can go and live that out and make and and govern over that and partner in that and allow that to be made manifest and play his part in bringing that heavenly will to earth. And so it says, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. But in that context, Moses was given something very, very specific. And God continued to show him um, specific things. We see in Exodus 25, 8 through 16, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So if we want to talk about like a pattern or maybe even use the phrase a blueprint, that Moses was given a blueprint on how to build this tabernacle. And he was also given blueprints on how to build the furnishings that were going to be put into the tabernacle. And Yahweh, Father in heaven, was very specific and very detailed in the things that he spoke to Moses 
in that time. He said, have them make an ark of acacia wood. So told them exactly what kind of wood. Two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. So he gave them exact measurements. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. So he's saying, here are the materials you're going to use. Here's how you're going to make it. Here are the details of, of some of the, the decorative situations that are going to happen with this furnishing. Um, he says, cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. This is interesting. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. We know later on the ark was being moved. And then this one, I can't remember the guy's name, but he reached out and he went to steady the ark and he touched it with his hands and God struck him dead. And it's because David had said, move the ark, but he didn't follow the example or the pattern that the Lord had showed him for moving the ark. And so uh, I'm not saying people are going to die if they're not doing some of these things uh, now. I don't, I don't know what the Lord's doing in that regard, but we just know that maybe there can be some consequences. It's important that we do exactly what he says. That is the, uh, the lesson here. And so um, Exodus 25, 40, it says, CT, see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So that is the reference scripture for uh, there in Hebrews. And so this is one instance. This is Moses. He's getting an exact detailed blueprint and plan for what he's supposed to build and do from the Father in heaven. And he is going to then make sure that that happens on earth. And so Hebrews, uh, wait, I already showed that one. Sorry. Moses, Exodus, uh, Genesis 6, so Noah and the flood. And this is another example of the Lord giving an individual in the scripture a blueprint on how to build something that's going to serve a purpose. And so we know that Noah ends up building the ark. Um, let me just jump into like verse 14. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening of one cubit high all around. So you can read this, and again, there's just very detailed instructions, right? Um, let's go to Ezekiel in the temple, because I want to show you that it's not just one or two instances, that it's three, four, five, all throughout Scripture. God's giving very detailed commands to individuals as they are partnering in, relation, or in relationship with Him and partnering in bringing out His uh, will on earth as it is in heaven. So Ezekiel and the temple, you can read like four or five chapters of what Ezekiel sees in a vision. Ezekiel is seeing the temple and he's getting all of the measurements. He know, he's The Lord's revealing to him and showing him in this vision everything that's supposed to happen in the temple. So he's getting, he's getting not only the, the details about the plan on what it's going to look like, but also the details and the Lord's heart and desire for the way that the priest would serve in the temple on a, on a daily basis. Um, and so maybe just uh, jump down to verse, uh, verse 5, where it says, I saw a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The length of the measuring rod in the man's hand was six long cubits, each one each of which was a cubit and a handbreadth. He measured the wall. It was one measuring one rod thick and one rod high. So again, just another instance here of very detailed instruction for uh, the Lord's people and those he's called into relationship uh, with him. 
Here in Ezekiel 43, 10 through 12, let's jump down to the last sentence in verse 11. And it says, write these down before them so that they may be faithful to its design and follow all its regulations. So in one instance, we see the Lord speaking to Moses and saying, be sure that you do everything according to the pattern that's been shown to you. And then here to Ezekiel, he's saying, write this stuff down and make sure that they're faithful to the design and to follow its regulations. So the, the details in what the Lord has and then the obedience behind it. And so really interesting stuff. And so I guess what am I, what am I really trying to say with all of this? I personally believe that the Lord is still speaking to his people and giving them very specific details of how to partner with bringing his will to earth as it is in heaven on an individual basis, on a, on a community. I mean, just think about my purpose in, in the uh, kingdom versus what our church is up to versus what the church in Wichita is up to versus what the state of Kansas is up to. Like, but it goes down to people saying, well, I feel called and I feel like the Lord is leading me to do this, that, and the other. I, I 100% believe that people still exist in relationship with God like that today. But let's look at what Jesus did, right? Because Jesus is, is our ultimate example. John 5, 19 through 20. It says, Therefore Yeshua answered them, Amen, amen. I tell you, the Son cannot do anything by himself. Jesus tells us also that we ought to abide in him. And as we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. And apart from him, we can do nothing. So the Son can do nothing apart from the Father. And us, we can do nothing apart from being in Christ, right? Good works prepared beforehand in Christ Jesus that we might walk in them. And so Jesus is saying he can't do anything by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, right, relationship, and shows him everything he does, a revealing of his heart and his will. He will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And so, again, this really interesting dynamic of existing in relationship with the Father in such a way that we can know his heart and his mind and his desire and his will for the earth as it is in heaven. And so in the same way that Jesus existed in such a way that he only did what he saw the Father do. Jesus didn't do things because he thought it was a good idea or might make somebody happy. He was only doing what the Father was up to. If the Father wanted to heal this blind man, well, then he partnered with that and did that. If the Father wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead, well, then he knew that that was the heart of God for the situation, and he walked in it, and he acted upon it. And so whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And this is just kind of that beautiful picture of, you know, if you've ever said like, oh my gosh, I'm just like my mother. Oh my gosh, I'm just like my father. Kids will mimic, or even not mimic, but we will take on those attributes 
of our parents or, you know, maybe it's our friends or you, you know, you are who you hang with or whatever it is. But this is what it's like as we hang with the father, as we exist in relationship, as we seek his heart, as we seek his mind, as we seek his will, we will begin to do the things that we see that he wants to do. You know, I tell you that ministry for me used to always be because I, I consider myself a, a teacher of the scriptures. Um, and so when everybody, when anybody would come to me with an issue, my ministry to them was always, well, what scripture do I have for them? And that has a place, but that's not always the proper course of action. Um, sometimes people know the scriptures, you know, they've read them a billion times, but for some reason it's just not hitting their heart, you know? And so the way that I've begun to minister to people is I simply just take a moment and I close my eyes, just my practice. I close my eyes and I just ask, I say, Father, what is your heart for them right now? And man, 99% of the time, maybe 100% of the time when I do that, the Lord will begin to speak just words of love and and mercy and grace and acceptance over them. And, and I'll just begin to say, I feel like the Lord is just saying that he loves you. You know, whatever it is, whatever that word is, it just comes and flows. And then, you know, something breaks and, and, and there's tears, but then there's gratitude and then there's joy and then there's peace and all the fruit begins to, to well up inside of you. And then there's like Thanksgiving and worship and you're like, oh man, God is so good. Yeah, he's so good. Oh man, he's so good. And it was just because I took a moment and just said, you know, Father, what are you seeing? What what are you doing? What are you saying? What do you want for this situation? What do you desire for this situation? And I just call that tapping into the heart and the mind of God. Um, and if you've ever maybe done a little bit of study on, on the word prophecy, really that word prophecy means um, acting in accordance to the heart and the mind of God by the Spirit. Like it just kind of like what does he want for the here and now in that situation? What is his heart and his desire for the matter? If we look at the prophets of old, they always spoke what the Lord had on his heart, his desire for the people. Um, so I believe we can do that too. We can tap in and we can do what the Father's doing. We can put our focus there. So Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so here's something really interesting, and uh, I think we'll end just right after this, but it's talking about not being conformed to this age or being conformed, you may have heard it, the pattern of this world or the way of this world. Uh, I use this translation because it says, don't be conformed to this age. And what's interesting about this age is we're in the, we're in this age of the kingdom where the spirit of God is, is with us and we're living and existing in faith. Um, and that's the spiritual side, the, the patterns of the world, the, uh, the age of this world is one that, um, you know, what, what do people do? They do what they want. Uh, they're selfish in their actions. We see some scriptures that talks about in the last days, people will be lovers of self and lovers of evil and, and all of these things. And so he's saying, don't be conformed to that, right? 
so we can not conform to this age, but what is our destiny to be conformed to the image of the likeness of Christ? And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what I love about this is that that word transformed is actually the same word that is used in the Gospels for when Jesus was on the mountain and was transfigured. And so that word literally means like metamorphosis. It's that process of the caterpillar turning into the butterfly, right? Like this is our idea of metamorphosis. It's that the caterpillar was once this, this being that crawled along the leaves and the trees and the ground, and then it holed up into a cocoon and it allowed a process to take place that would completely transform its ability to navigate the earth. And it even went from being something uh, physically um, metamorphosized, completely transformed to be a different kind of entity. And so this is what happens to us as we are being conformed into the likeness of Christ. We are being metamorphosized, even so much so that literally our countenance and the way that we talk and the way that we act and the way that we move and the way that we breathe and the things that we do are transformed. So if you've ever seen somebody go from maybe upset or crying or hurt to, <clears throat> excuse me, to having peace and joy, and like it's like their face lights up and they're like a new person, you're like, wow, it's night and day. Or if you see somebody who was an addict and who was bound to addiction or or being um, uh, codependent on a relationship or something like that. And then something happens into their life and you see them and, and, and they're free and they're different. You're like, man, you, you look so good. If you've ever said that to somebody like, man, you're look, you look so great. You know, you were in, in a rough spot, but man, you look good. Like, man, I can tell that something's different. That's the metamorphosis and that we can exist in relationship with the father in such a way that, we can look and act and think and feel and move and breathe differently. And so as that's happening, it says by the renewing of our mind. So what are we doing? We're, we are considering these uh, scriptural concepts. We are, we are tapping into the mind of Christ. We are, we are rejecting the thoughts that aren't of God and we're replacing them and making them obedient to Christ. And we're doing these things as we're in relationship with God and we're allowing the spirit to lead us and guide us to do those things. It says, uh, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. So as all of this is happening, it's bringing us to a place for the, for the purpose of discerning and knowing the will of God. And as we've seen, I believe that for each and every one of us, there is a very specific will and there are very specific good works that we can uh, live out as we exist in relationship with God. Let me read you one more scripture that I actually don't have in the PDF, but it says this. It's Acts 13, 36. And the NIV version says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Now that's right in the middle of a, of a sermon that's being given. But the, uh, the writer is reminding us that David had served God's purpose in his own generation. 
that the Lord had a purpose for David in the time and the place where he existed. So there's another scripture that says in Acts uh, 17, 26, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach, perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And so God has appointed our time and our place and given us a purpose. One, that we might be conformed into the image and the likeness of Christ. And then two, that we might walk in the good works that he prepared beforehand for us. And so this is my encouragement to you. I hope that through all of this, I have shown that I believe that the Lord is continuing to do this. He's continuing to exist in that one-on-one relationship with people, and he's continuing to show them their very specific good works and heaven, uh, will in heaven to earth bringing communication that's happening, that we can literally, like right now at any point in time, press in and seek the heart of the Father in relationship and ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to today? Where do you want me to go today? Where do you want me to drink my coffee this morning? Should I go to Starbucks or should I go to this other place, right? Like, where should I eat my lunch today? Who should I call during my drive from one place to another? Um, You know, there are times where I go to Quick Trip and I see homeless people or, you know, people living on the street or whatever it is, sitting down and, and, um, there are times where I just say, hey, Lord, do, should, I, should I speak to that one? Uh, or, you know, what do I do? And um, there are times where he says, like, no, not, not that one. But then there are some days where he makes it very clear, like, go speak to that person. And so for me, it's a matter of saying, I want to do what I see the Father doing. Um, I want to live in such a way that, that I know that I know that I know that I'm doing what the Lord is wanting me to do. Now, let me just make this this statement real quick. I know that there are certain things in the scriptures that are like prescriptive commands from God that we should love our neighbor and do these things. But I think we could also ask for the details very specifically of how do I love that neighbor, right? What should I do? Again, uh, you know, if you've ever heard the statement, you know, he was reading my mail. And so somebody's talking to you and they're just saying, oh, I feel like the Lord is saying this, that, and the other. And you're like weeping. And you're like, oh, you're so right. And it's because the, the Lord is like speaking very specific to that situation. Um, so I, I guess without beating a dead horse, I suppose, like let's press in as much as we possibly can and seek the heart and the mind of God and see what he has for us. And let's think about that prayer, your will on earth as it is in heaven. And let's seek the Father in heaven and say, yeah, I want to partner and I want to bring that to earth in the way that you've designed and created me and predestined me beforehand. Those things, like what are those those works? What should I be doing? And so to give a real quick recap, we're talking about week one. It's just this idea that this invisible God reveals himself to man and it, and invites them into relationship. And then 
reveals his heart and his mind for the situation and invites them to be a part of that. Week two is that as he invites them into that, he gives many, and I believe everyone, very specific details and instructions on how to partner with bringing his will to earth from heaven. And so that's kind of the recap for week two. Week three, next week, we'll then talk about the heavenly resources that are available to us as we walk in those good works and as we are being conformed to the image of Christ, which uh, one will talk about uh, the Spirit of God living inside of us. And then the other thing that's really interesting, and I love uh, teaching on this because I hadn't really seen it before, before I did the study, is that, you know, the Lord is commanding an angelic host and um, he has his servants, his messengers doing things in the earth to bring about his will. And we see it all through the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And uh, I just think that's really cool to think about uh, that the Lord is continuing to um, command this angel army that is literally on our side as we're walking out, doing these things for him, living in kingdom and living in relationship with him. Uh, just to give a quick uh, preview in Hebrews, again, it talks about are not all angels ministering spirits or serving spirits sent to those who are inheriting salvation. And so just a really cool thing. And then uh, again, the last week we'll talk about Christ being our advocate and then uh, some really interesting things in scripture where we see this kind of heavenly interaction um, that again plays into this supernatural possibility in existence. 